millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, hello, and special welcomes to you all today during international break to the Indie Football Podcast. I am your grizzled veteran, Ed Malian, and we'll be discussing today, albeit briefly, how to make international football better. And as much as I'd like to unload a soliloquy on you all, the product is altogether much better when we have a conversation. So allow me to introduce another fellow vet, Jack Pitbrook. Hello, Ed. And also our podcast deputant today and uh, man of the people, voice of a generation and the new chief sports writer of the Independent. It's Jonathan Liu, everybody. Hello. So uh, with Johnny and Jack here, it's international break. Uh, no Premier League action to talk about and we don't want to go all the way to next weekend so we thought we'd uh, continue on a series that we've had on the website this week, independent.co.uk slash football, as I'm sure you're all aware, about how to fix international football, which seems to annoy, have kind of annoyed people, Jack, uh, who uh, have kind of bristled at the idea that international football is broken. So let's call it how to make international football better. And uh, if you want to give us so your piece the other day, what were your thoughts? My thoughts basically are that International football is only broken insofar as, and I think we've got to be clear that this is um, this is very much the view in England. If you ask people in other countries, they might have very different views on whether on whether or not international football works for them. Uh, you can look at the celebrations overnight in Egypt, who've made their first World Cup since 1990, I think. Um, so for you know, for lots of people, international football is amazing. It's the peak of football. Uh, it's an incredibly important thing which they can all rally around. Putting that to one side. You know, I we live in England, work in England, and my perception as someone who covers English football is that the English national team and the interest around the English national team has basically been swallowed by the Premier League over the last 15 to 20 years. I think that um, the levels of interest that there were in the English national team between about 1996 and 2006 will never be reached again because of the basically the rise of, uh, or not... Yeah, like the, the intensification, I guess you can call it, of Premier League loyalties and identity above that of the English national team. Now, I don't think that's fixable. Like, I think the only way you could fix this is to basically unwind 20, yeah, 20 years of growth of the Premier League and to kind of, you know, put the toothpaste back in the tube. No one's going to do that. I don't think we can get back to a point where the English team is seen as the pinnacle of football in this country and say the English, the big English teams competing in Premier League or in Europe is not. Um, so I don't have a solution, but I think I've got an idea what the problem is. I think it's more... I, I think people try and make it into like an England-centric thing. I think it's a Eurocentric thing because, yes, Egypt, uh, incredible celebrations. And uh, if Ecuador get to the World Cup, incredible celebrations in Quito and stuff. But in Europe, the club game is king and, and the European club game dominates world football to an extent. Uh, Jonathan, you uh, were saying to me earlier on that you don't think international football necessarily has that big a problem. Well, we, t we call it an, an Anglo-centric problem. You call it a Eurocentric problem. I think it's it's not a problem that, like, like you say, in, they're having in Egypt or Costa Rica. 
it's not a problem they're having in smaller European nations like Wales. <laughs> ask. <laughs> they're pretty small. They are small, no, you're right. No. Uh, ask Greece in 2004 how they felt about European football. It's we are we are very fortunate in this country, England, to have a domestic league on our doorstep of consistently world class quality. Snigger, snigger. <laughs> and that is a, a problem, a problem, a privilege that very few other countries have: Germany, Italy, Spain, France, I guess. And the fact that international football is not dying on its ass in Spain, Italy, France, or Germany in a way that it is in England suggests that it is a particularly English problem to well, me. It, but in Italy, they complain about the, the, the national team quite a lot. They're a big moaning bunch, and you know they say that the quality of Italian players certainly is, is one of the worst it's ever been going into the last uh, World Cup. The, the Euros, they were saying this is the worst Italy squad ever for the Euros in, in France last year. So the Wales, I also think the Wales example uh, and the Greece thing, I think whenever there's a country who's been successful, it's much more popular. I think that's an obvious yeah. thing. So England, uh, Euro 96, if you say that, would that we say that's the peak for the English national team since they won the World Cup, basically? And they got to the semi-finals. It's the furthest they've gotten in any tournament. Yeah, you, well, yeah. I mean, you would naturally have Italian 90 and Euro 96 on the same level. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Italian 90 um, as well because of the significance of that coming out of the 80s where, where football had been kind of in the gutter. But Basically, nothing since Jack was born. Yes, well, <laughs> he's older than me actually. But the uh, if you look at it this way, whenever there's a, there is success, so Wales are enjoying, I guess, relative success for a, for a small country, in that they're kind of half good for the first time. They're reaching tournaments, which they came close to under Mark Hughes until Vadim Yevseyev's late goal in that playoff. But really, Wales haven't done anything for a long, long time in football. So of course, they're really happy with how things are at the moment. And you can point to Costa Rica and Egypt, and, and they, that's all great. But actually, you still get a lot of Premier League footballers and, and La Liga footballers who, who toss off international duty early in the qualifying campaign because they don't want to risk missing a big game for their club, for example. And it's an increasing thing that the clubs are leaning on these players to say that you know what you do for us is more important than what you do for your country. Um, when we t- the, about a month ago we did this discussion more centred on England and, and why people were disconnected with the England team and I said I remember watching a, an attempted coup in Ecuador with some Colombians and Ecuadorians and they were all crying their eyes out and the whole point is that they're a far more patriotic nation than England and I think that feeds into it but as much as patriotism feeds into it success does Jack yeah I'm I'm not sure it does or in this, sorry, I think in the specific England case, I don't think that I think that like the reasons for people's disconnection from the England team are deeper rooted than how good the England team is. I mean, by any measure, the England team is currently very good. Like they've qualified very e- incredibly easily for the for the uh, for the World Cup, which is half the problem. Yeah, but the fact that I don't think that I think that underperformance at tournaments has been damaging, but I think that that is. That is basically a symptom of the same problems rather than the problem itself. The problem itself is the fact that people aren't that fussed because they're more because but they care more about their clubs. Do we all agree that should England uh, manage to bink a couple of knockout wins and get to the semi-finals uh, in Russia next year, that suddenly it will be the biggest talk in town and kind of everyone will be hugely on board the England bandwagon? It 
really depends on on the town. I think <laughs> if you go to Liverpool and ask them what they think of the England team, you could you could have an England team in a World Cup final and they'd watch, but whether they would instinctively get behind it in in a patriotic sense, I doubt very much because the disconnect between that city and what they see as the FA's team uh, is is I think irrevocable. Do we think the FA actually have a huge case to answer here because? They've also just had, again, like a terrible couple of months where they seem to have screwed everything up, really. Again, what we've seen with Mark Sampson uh, and, and the women's team and the way they've dealt with that. Is, is it, I mean, is it fair to say the FA is holding the England team back? I don't think that Mark Sampson is the problem, as badly as the FA have clearly handled that issue. I think the one thing you could point to is the fact that all England games, obviously, since 2007 have been at Wembley. Uh, bringing to an end that quite nice period of seven years where they rotated around the country in a way which you know gave the England team back to uh, the, what you might patronisingly call the regions uh, in a way which hadn't been the case beforehand. Um, but ultimately, I don't really blame the FA because I, th- I think that they've basically been eat- you know they have been eaten alive by the Premier League in this and in other ways, and therefore you can't really blame them for you know getting eaten by a bigger fish. I mean, we kind of discussed England um, when we did this before. If we were broadening it back out to international football, do we think, for example, and this is um, a piece we had by Tim Wigmore, if you took out all the international breaks from the season, you could make the season nine weeks shorter. If qualifying was done in a mini tournament at the end of each season, uh, I suppose it would be every other year, um, do we think that would be a better way of doing it? Because people do tend to get more behind tournaments because it's, uh, you know, it's something you build up to. And also there's, you know, the, the problem with international breaks at the moment is you have the club momentum that gets halted. You can't really coach that team that well in a, a few days before two qualifiers and then you, you send them back off to the clubs and they, you hope they come back in the next international break. Do we think that would be a, a plausible scenario? I think it's a good idea. I mean, I, I read that piece by, by Tim and I thought there's a lot of merit to it. There's a lot of merit to coaches being able to have players for six to eight weeks at a time. Uh, I think it's conducive to uh, club managers also taking on international jobs, which I think is another idea that's been that's been yeah. banded around. Uh, and w- I mean, we'll come to my idea in, 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 a, in a sec, which is kind of on a, on a related note, but I think there's a, there's a lot to commend that. It will give uh, smaller nations a taste of tournament football, which is something that smaller countries don't really have at the moment. Yeah, And it creates a certain... A distinctive product. Summer international football is something that everybody can get behind. You can market that. You can't market uh, a dreary friendly against Lithuania or Liechtenstein or Andorra or Burkina Faso in November. No, I, I thought Tim's idea was excellent uh, from that point of view. Uh, you touched on the managers thing, so I thought I'd flesh that out. Um, Diego Simeone, uh, like last year when Argentina got rid of, no, it was pre Edgardo Bowser. He was actually keen to take on the Argentina job on a part-time basis if they would have let him. And that really made me think, is, is one, that would be great. Because if Argentina had Diego Simeone for less than half the year, they would be a better team than if they had Edgardo Bowser or Sergio Batista or any of the previous kind of rubbish coaches they've had. Because you're fishing from a small pool because of the strength of club football. Think of how many good Argentine managers there are. You've got Mauricio Pochettino, Diego Simeone. Uh, Jorge Sampaoli, who eventually is is the exception here because he left a big club job in Europe 
to go and take an international job, whereas the, the flow of countries is definitely going the other way, the other direction. So imagine if Spain could have Pep Guardiola on a part-time basis, Jose Mourinho with Portugal. Now, you'd need someone to break the mould. You'd need Simeone or someone to insist on it and say, I want to do this. You need someone with power with their club to do it. But the top managers have that. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favourite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies. I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday wherever you get your podcasts and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So in a potential world where you could have much better coaches doing a part-time job and so obviously when they're back with their clubs when Simeone's back with his club you have someone in temporary charge but say that's you know a, a young former player who's coming through who, who's got the coaching badges and wants to improve could this not be like a, a better situation for them to learn under could this not be a better situation for the players to have really good coaching there I don't know it, it just I mean it seems unlikely I guess because of the direction club football is going which we've discussed but do you think there's any merit to it Jack? Yeah, certainly. I mean, I think one of the problems that international football has is that the quality of what you see on the pitch obviously isn't as good as the top end of the Premier League and the Champions League. Now, I mean, for example, if you look back at the Euros, Antonio Conte, I mean, that Italy team could have won it, even though it was, we all know, one of the least talented Italy teams for a generation because they had a world-class manager. If you throw in, you know, it, it seems like an obvious thing to say, if you throw more good managers into the mix, the product will be better. And it would certainly improve the quality of what at the moment are fairly stodgy um, matches even towards the back end of major tournaments. If that Belgium squad, so I did the opening game Italy versus Belgium. If that Belgium squad had had Conte in charge, they were contenders. Like You feel like they could have easily won the whole thing. As it happens, he had a, a poor Italy squad and they, they did quite well and they got knocked out by Spain, if I remember correctly. No, they knocked Spain, Spain out and they Germany. went out oh, they, pens to Germany. Germany, Germany. So... You know, it's that shows what you can do if you've got a really good coach in charge of these teams. Um, but it just feels like it's an unlikely scenario now because of, of the strength of the Premier League and all, and all these other things. What was your idea then, Jonathan, broadly? Well, my idea was that people talk about scrapping friendlies and managers hate friendlies, fans hate friendlies. My idea was to kind of look at it the other way around and to, if you scrap qualifiers 
and base international tournament qualification on the world rankings, then every friendly becomes a competitive game. And if it's a choice between scrapping England against Malta, sorry Malta, and, and sorry England, and England against Germany or England against France, some of the friendlies that England are playing over the next few months, it would instantly inject more competitiveness into the international game if teams are playing against other teams of a similar strength for competitive reasons. Would that be organised centrally? So how would you decide who plays who? Would the FA decide who they want to play? Because you you must have read um, James Gearbrandt singing in the Times about the the fact that these uh, Switzerland I think it was and Poland was it are uh, they're gaming the rankings basically they're they're not playing friendlies against teams and they're just winning qualifiers against rubbish teams and it means that they're top ten teams in the world so how would you decide who plays who in these friendly qualifier hybrids well one thing you would have to do is to implement confederational quotas so so you wouldn't have 30 European teams in a, in a 32 team World Cup for example uh, the, the the point about smaller nations not being able to rise the, up the rankings is something that you would have to deal with in a, in a revised ranking system I think that one, one interesting point which I saw made over the weekend is that the the creation of new countries in the last 20 25 years especially in Eastern Europe has actually has functionally changed how UEFA qualifiers work because there's just so much there's so many more teams this means ultimately that the um, teams which might have been able to to rival the big western european countries are actually now weaker and it means that the west you know teams like england have to play more and more and more countries just because groups are naturally made up of six teams now instead of four or five well even since the last world cup we've gained two uefa sides right gibraltar kosovo, and kosovo yeah and it's true, if the former Yugoslav Republic would have a hell of a team now if you combined them. Um, but the way, I mean, moving slightly onto geopolitics, the way things are going, is this is only going to further happen. Right, you know, yeah, the yeah. events we've seen in the last couple of weeks suggest that you know a lot of countries don't feel the need to be as large as they were you know, back in the Middle Ages and the 15th century and whatever because that was more of a defence thing. But if you're looking at uh, Jonathan's system, for example, I, I think we appreciate you'd have to fix the the ranking system for sure. So would you say, like, you'd have to play a team from 10th to 20th in the world, you'd have to play a team from 20th to 30th in the world, kind of, you have to play a team from each kind of rankings band in a year, and you get some latitude within those bands? Is, is that how you envision well, it? I think ideally you would want to give countries as much scope as, as they can to organise their own fixtures and that that's how you get games that people will want to see do you Be- think sorry do you think if i mean thinking across the cricket that process has meant imp- or did mean for a part it's the time when england australia and india tried to fix it so they would only play each other rather than playing the smaller countries who would actually benefit more from playing the bigger ones do you imagine that would be part or that would have to be guarded against under such a system of yours well, that would work if there were only 10 countries in international football. There are, look, there's, you've got England and Argentina and, and, and France and Germany and Italy and Spain and, and, and Holland and, and Belgium and, and Brazil and whatever. And there are enough countries in international football for for fixtures to be made that people haven't seen for, for a while. When was the last time you saw a really, really good, uh, you know, France against Brazil match, for example? Uh, there, there are enough uh teams for those fixtures to be to be made and there's also a kind of 
countries themselves are probably best placed to know what is going to appeal to their domestic market. And so you're going to get the big teams playing each other a lot more often. And I think that's that's basically how international football is going to save itself. I think that would be great for the FA because it would mean that England would always be playing one of you know the big 10. But I think there is a benefit to England playing against Montenegro, which is not it's not just to the benefit of the FA, it's also to the benefit of Montenegro. And it would, if England is going to play constant money-spinning friendlies forever, then they will effectively be, I mean, it's not really pulling up the drawbridge because that's not how it works, but they would be cutting out um, countries that deserve some of that money and attention and exposure. Yeah, but they're not simply money-spinning friendlies. And, and there's kind of a, there's a sporting balance to be struck there because if you if you if you're continually playing teams like Spain and Germany and Argentina and France, you're going to lose a lot of those games and you're going to slip down the rankings. So there's a there's a strategic element at play there. Maybe it is worth playing Montenegro. Maybe it's worth playing Latvia or Lithuania. Uh, I think what they would do in that instance is they would play they would play countries who would be a big draw commercially, but who for whom the team is rubbish, like China USA. or the USA. Yeah, China or USA would be the. Opposite. So it would be big big name games, but that England would somehow still scrape one nil. But then, you, but then you don't get the ranking points. I mean, the, the the FIFA rankings, as they are, are the better the team you beat, the more ranking points you get. But I think that there's, I guess, uh, you know, it's hard to do a one size fits all because, as we've said, you know, we're looking at it from one lens, and there's so many different things at play. The biggest issue for me is that I think a lot of the World Cup qualifiers are badly organised, basically badly run except one, and I think the South American qualifying is the best. And that is because there is a competitive balance that is um, that comes from some of the teams that have extreme home advantage are the weakest teams. So Argentina go to uh, Quito, which is like 3,000 metres above sea level, having to win, basically to guarantee qualification. Bolivia have pulled off incredible results in La Paz at the Estadio Hernando Siles, which is according to FIFA rules, it's literally the highest stadium in the world that you're allowed to play professional football. Um, this is this is almost like the, the sort of group I'd want. I don't know, like, it, to expand on Johnny's theory, if you took one team over... It, you do it, like, over a year cycle, and you took one team from the top 10, one team from the next 10, one team from the next 10 of the world rankings, and you just put them all in a group of 10, and they all have to play each other, home and away, at some point, and you've got... You might have Japan in there with... England, uh, you might have Costa Rica, you might have Ghana, you might have then a couple of like rubbish teams like Bahrain and someone else. But I just think the the interest the interest in the fixtures would be so much greater because they're so unusual. The the mix of uh, teams that you get would be great. Like realistically, that travel costs aren't going to be an issue anymore if FIFA fund these things because FIFA makes billions of, of dollars of revenue every year. But it's trying to make this more interesting and, and do we need regionalized stuff anymore now that travel and stuff is so easy i don't know it's just for me i, th I think, I think it the, the, the problem with de-regionalizing it though would be that like the cream would rise to the top it would all just be it would all just be european teams for the most part i mean I even, even the last few world cups we've seen like it's been boring the dominance of european teams over teams from outside of europe and one of the good one of the good things about the current system and it's not a great system, is that it does guarantee a kind of diversity of, of country there rather than just the big boys. Which you could keep, obviously. But not under Ed's system. N no, no. I mean, I, like, 
you you do have to have some sort of quota in there because you can't just let it be filled. I guess there are some people who'd want that, you know, Tories basically, like you know, who they just want the absolute best of the best. But one of the best things about World Cup is that you've got a combination of of teams that is unusual but also representative of of world football. I mean, if also if you look further down the pyramid, you get somebody like Mozambique being sent to play against Kiribati or the other way around. Mm. And then you have probably part-time players having to fly halfway around the world, take two weeks off work. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I hadn't fully looked through the uh, the feasibility of it, but I think there's a German of, of an idea there. And I think we do need to, we do need to, change things and that they're they're trying it and we're gonna have to see how the UEFA Nations League works which is um the European idea that's proposed oh, it's, it's going to come into effect right after the World Cup so we'll see if that makes a difference um I guess that's probably about all we've got time for today uh just a short episode for international break but I would like to uh thank Johnny for his time Johnny thank you for coming today you're welcome uh Jack Pitbrook thank, thank you, you for coming um stay uh tuned obviously to all the usual channels independent.co.uk slash football for all the uh, European and particularly South American uh, qualifiers that are going to be going off in the next couple of days. It's a big one, uh, particularly uh, in Argentina, as we said. And uh, we'll talk to you next Monday when we'll have all of the analysis of Manchester United versus Liverpool. Remember to rate and review us on iTunes. Thank you to our friends at Apple, at Acast, producer Matt Murphy and uh, my family. Thank you and goodbye. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.